0: Rachel Mail joined me on this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon to share her story. She has been diagnosed with cancer three times. She was initially diagnosed in February 2016 at the age of 38 with stage 2 triple negative invasive ductal carcinoma. Two years later, she was diagnosed with recurrence of the original cancer as well as metaplastic breast cancer. Her third diagnosis was metastasis of the ductal carcinoma in her lung. Rachel shares her course of treatment creating her own healing path, and living life the best that she can. Take a listen in. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. Welcome to the show, Rachel. It's so nice to have you with us.
1: Thanks, Melissa. It's great to be here.
0: So let's talk about your diagnosis. How did you come to find out that you had breast cancer?
1: Um, So I don't have any family history of breast cancer. um, So it really wasn't something that was on my radar at all. Uh, For my 38th birthday, I decided to treat myself to a um, float tank session or a sensory deprivation tank. And, you know, it was something that I'd heard about and I was intrigued by it. So I thought, hey, for my birthday, I'll treat myself to a, a float session. And after that, I, w- I mean, it was blissful. I would recommend it to anyone. <laughs> uh, when I came out of that, you know, it was like I had a whole busy weekend planned. So I thought, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a shower, relax, you know, go to bed early, etc. So I got in the shower, and as I was washing myself, I felt a lump in my right breast, um, kind of right under the, or right near my armpit. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is weird. You know, I, it was large enough, it was probable enough that it's, you know, struck me as something that was definitely there. You know, there was no question about that. Um, but it just was like, wow, this wasn't there yesterday, I would have noticed. Um, so, you know, I kind of went into panic
0: mode. But, it was, and of course, it was a Friday. Well, did you um, think about, did you think cancer at that point in time? Like, did you immediately uh, I, I, go to it? It
1: definitely popped into my head, yes. Okay. And I, I started to, you know, yeah, get the, those panic, um, panic thoughts. So I reached out to, um, to a friend, and we were chatting, and they said, well, it's probably just assist, like that would explain why it came on so quickly. To me, it did feel a, a little squishy and almost movable. So, you know, I was able to calm myself at least enough to get through the weekend. But I immediately made a doctor's appointment. Um, So I went to see my gynecologist. Their thought was kind of the same. Like, "Eh, this is probably a cyst, but let's just be sure, you know, go get get a mammogram done. So I had a mammogram set up for like two days after that. Um, You know, went in for the mammogram. They were like, well, it looks a little odd. I had nodules in my left breast, but they said, oh, it looks a little bit different. We're going to go ahead and biopsy it just to be sure. So then, you know, a couple of days after, after that, I, I was still feeling like, oh, this is just a cyst, no big deal. So then when the radiologist called me with the news, I remember so clearly, like I answered the phone and I was just like chipper and I said, hello, <laughs> you know, fully expecting that they would say like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a cyst. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then they said, well, you know, unfortunately it's cancer and, you know, kind of like. Brain
0: shuts off. Yeah. Yeah. So um, two things. One, (laughs) um, and maybe I'm just going to chuckle at this myself, um, but when you said, you know, when I turned 38, I treated myself to, I thought, I hope she doesn't tell me that she treated herself to a mammogram (laughs) because (laughs) we're going to have to have a chat about what appropriate birthday gifts are to ourselves. (laughs) So I'm glad that it was something else. Um, But... So my, um, you know, I know that you had said, like, it wasn't there the day before. Um, right. I mean, obviously, you know, when we're washing, we kind of take notice of things with our body. Um, did you do regular self breast exams at all or just um, yeah. just washing?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I was, you know, sometimes the thought would run through my head while I was in the shower, while I was lying in bed, and I might kind of awkwardly you know, check myself, but not really like, sure. Am I doing this right?
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know. I have, um, very, very dense breast tissue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know, so it was always, yeah, there was always this sense of like, is that something, is this nothing? I'm not sure. Um, but not, I never, I never felt something in my breast and thought, oh, this feels off or this thing, you know, I, I feel like I should get this checked and right. but that definitely stood out as like wait a minute
0: this this doesn't feel right. Well, and especially if you, you know, I mean I don't know, like whatever your showering habits are, but you said it wasn't right. there the day before and yeah. then it and then you felt it. I mean that that had to be I mean I I'm sure it was just a surprise um as to like, you know, well where did this come from? Um
1: right. And you know what I've actually asked a few doctors and I was never really able to get a clear um you know like no one was able would a, would say definitively like yes it was because of the float tank but i had you know some maybe would not along with my theory of um you know so the float tank you're basically immersed in just this tank full of epsom salt right. water and you know they say that epsom salt's supposed to like draw out toxins mm-hmm. um you know so i don't know like did it move that closer to the surface did it shift things around otherwise that it was able to be detected
0: i don't know yeah i mean that's interesting really yeah. and and you know definitely food for thought because mm-hmm. you know at a stage 3 i mean that the the size of it would have to be you know a little bit bigger Right, And I feel like you would be a little hard-pressed to not have noticed it the day before. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's there. I can't imagine yeah. that it just grew to a stage three overnight. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. maybe.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, know. it was triple negative. They say it grows more quickly. It was um, initially measured at two centimeters.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so... So at two centimeters, I mean, that doesn't put it, it wouldn't put that at stage three unless, I mean, I, I don't know the staging. I feel like the staging has changed so many times um, since my own diagnosis that I'm not always 100% clear on it. Um, But at least at a a size, um, sorry, a two centimeter um, previously, that wasn't necessarily a stage three. So did it grow over the course of like the final staging, like, once you went and had surgery or anything like that is that
1: no, no? um no my uh, yeah my understanding was that the 2 centimeters was what put it at the stage 3 mark oh, okay
0: yeah cuz i was stage 2a and my my tumor was 2.1 centimeters but i didn't have any, i no lymph node involvement none of that so it was stage 2a and then stage 2b but I don't know like I said I mean that was back in 2007 um so who knows what it would be today (laughs) um yeah I don't know I mean it's all good yeah I well I know that like over the course of like the time between when I found out that I it was a an official diagnosis of breast cancer to the time that I went in for surgery it had grown um, a centimeter. So I was initially a stage one when I went in gotcha. and then when I went, had my surgery, I became a stage two.
1: Maybe it was stage two. I honestly am so confused.
0: yeah, I'm very confused by the, the staging. It's, all um, true. it is, it's confusing. Yeah. I mean, and we're not, you know, <laughs> we're definitely not medical experts, so no worries on it. Um, it's all good. So, um, so you got the phone call, um, yeah you know, which is always, always a big pet peeve of mine. And my listeners know this, (laughs) Um, but how did you, I mean, were you expecting a phone call? Did you, were you okay with a phone call? Like, were you with family? Where were you when you got that call?
1: No, I was at home, um, you know, and I'm live alone. So I I don't know. I, I, some people have asked me that, like, you know, was it better to get a phone call versus go in for me personally, I was okay with it happening via phone call rather than like having to take off a day of work to go to an appointment, to just be kind of told the same thing without, right. um,
0: yeah,
1: I don't know. For me, I was okay with it being over the phone. Okay.
0: Yeah. But and yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I, everybody's different. Right. Sure. So I, f- I, always feel like that should at least be like a checkbox. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Would you like a phone call or would you like to come in? Um, yeah you know, whatever. But um, so what did you do? You know, I mean, first of all, you're, you answer the phone and you're like, you know, mm-hmm. s- super, you know, like, hi. <laughs> um, so what did you do after the phone call? I mean, I, I know that, you know, just the, the response that I had, but, you know, what did, what did you do? Who did you call?
1: Um. So I remember that they had talked, you know, on the phone, they'd said, You know, we went ahead and set you up with an appointment um, to talk to a, I think it was a surgeon, a breast surgeon initially. And they said, you know, we already went ahead and scheduled that just to get the ball rolling, to get, you know, make sure you can get in quickly. We need you to go and pick up your imaging. And um, so I kind of just snapped into this action mode. Um, You know, I think my brain disconnected from the emotion of it in a way. And I just s- snapped into okay, what do I have to do? You know, like what's what are the next steps? And I do recall sending a kind of a mass text out to like some family and uh, close friends, and just very matter of factly said like, well, you know, it's breast cancer. Oh. And then I think I even said in that like, I'm not ready to talk about it. Please don't call me. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, I just I'm not ready. I thought
0: about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, like, again, whatever, whatever it is that works for you. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, it's always, it always is. um... So did you send that to your parents as well? Or your parents? Okay. Um, Yeah. yeah, Cause I, I, um, I remember like calling my, my parents and telling them and, but everything was on my timeline. Right, mm-hmm. Like everything was when I was ready to, to talk about it, when I was ready to tell people. I mean, I didn't initially, you know, have that conversation with a whole lot of people. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. everything has to be on your own timeline. Um, right. So so when you went and you saw the surgeon, what were their recommendations at that point in time?
1: Um. So I remember that the surgeon that I met with initially wasn't a, a surgeon or doctor that I ultimately kept, you know, kind of in my mind my uh medical team roster Mm -hmm. um and you know for for better or worse that particular doctor having to to deliver this news you know kind of as the the first person um and how I interpreted that and, and processed it I don't know maybe I don't know if I was necessarily fair to them but I do remember they that that doctor's Uh, you know, my question was like, how did this happen? Like I have no family history. Um, you know, I, I wear my seatbelt, you know, I do all the things I'm supposed to do. Like, how did this happen? And I remember, you know, because it's triple negative, like the, you know, you can't point to hormonal imbalances or what have you. So I remember that doctor said, what's bad luck. And that just really (laughs) struck me. Um, and it just, and I just felt like, what? You know, and I refuse to accept that because I think I'm just, you know, and this is something that I've, I spent a lot of time with my therapist on, but, um, you know, I'm a person that likes to feel in control. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that being the response, well, it's just bad luck. Well, no, I, cause it can't be bad luck. That can't be it. Cause I can't control that. Um, so yeah, I just, um, uh, And as I said, you know, just kind of I've snapped into action mode. So it was like, what can I do to prevent this? What can I do to fix this? What can I do to prevent it from happening again? Um, But, yeah, I remember that was upsetting. Yeah. yeah,
0: I I mean, I think if that's your first impression, like if that's the first thing that you're given, um, you know, and it doesn't sit well with you, then, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to just figure out somebody that's going to support you the way that you need to be supported. Um, I don't always believe that it's bad luck. Um, You know, I think, I think that kind of carries with it, like almost the whole like karma thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've done some really (laughs) crappy things in your life. (sighs) Like this is the way that life is paying you back. Like I don't, I have a hard time with that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that I would probably be upset by that as well. Um, but good for you. I mean, because a lot of people, you know, when you're in that, when you're in that state, you know, first of all, you've, this has come out of left field. You, you really kind of created a narrative for yourself that this was a cyst and that everything was going to be fine and all of that. So then to have that diagnosis come through, you know, I mean, that puts you in a completely different state and you're taking in all of this information. The last Mm -hmm. thing that you need is somebody, you know, kind of minimizing it, if you will. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. So, I mean, and a lot of people would just go along, right? They Mm -hmm. wouldn't necessarily advocate for themselves to find a different doctor. So um, good for you for knowing, even if you think it's, you know, in hindsight that it may not have necessarily been fair at that point in time, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So did that doctor give you recommendations for the course of treatment? Was that the same as the doctor that you ultimately went with? Yes. So the the plan from that doctor, and then from the you know
1: what wound up happening was chemo first, mm-hmm. um, try to try to shrink the tumor, uh, and then surgery, and then radiation. You know, if I opted for a lumpectomy, which I did initially, you know, the first
0: time around was okay. um, lumpectomy, and then I did have subsequent radiation. Okay. So they did they not recommend mastectomy? at all? Was that on the table?
1: It was on the table. Um, it was something that I didn't want. Um, you know, just in full candor, like my breasts are a big part of my, um, sex life and pleasure and, you know, and also just for me, you know, I had a, um, you know, they just, they were a part of my body and something that I, you know, I felt important to hang on to if I could, yes. um, and the, you know, surgeon I ultimately went with was, was fine either way, okay. um, and had given, you know, I guess the, the thought at the, at that point in time, um, there was, you know, studies were coming out that, you know, were kind of like 50, 50, like, um, there were, I guess, thinking that a lumpectomy can be better because it's less disruptive to the overall body system. So kind of right. the the less major the surgery, the better, um, you know, kind of for the overall. And so that was supportive to what I wanted. So I was like, yeah, let's do that.
0: Well, and I would imagine that, you know, assuming that you had a, a positive response to the chemotherapy, mm-hmm. if they were mm-hmm. able to shrink the tumor and there's not a family history I would think that they would probably lean more towards a lumpectomy just because it is less invasive. Um, So did you have, uh, I know so many people, quite honestly, that they had a lumpectomy and then, you know, the the pathology report comes back and they don't have a clean margin. So then they have to go back in for another, you know, kind of taking out additional tissue. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so did you have to do any of that or was it kind of like one and done?
1: Yeah. One and done. Um, yeah. Clear margins, you know, everything went smoothly and it's funny you say one and done because that was sort of my mantra all throughout that first time was like, Oh, this is, you know, this, this is terrible. It's cancer, right? It's scary, but it's fine because I'm only going to have to like, I'm only doing this this one time, one and done. I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to meet people. I'm going, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of viewed it as this experience, um, and, you know, adventure is like a big thing for me. And so I was like, it's, a, it's an adventure that I'm having, and, <laughs> you know, and it's fine because I'm never going to have to do this again.
0: Right. So um, then, yeah. so then you did the radiation and how many rounds of radiation did you do?
1: I had 30 rounds.
0: Okay. Um, so then did they, well, triple negative, um, mm-hmm. you wouldn't be put on any medication, correct? Right. Yeah. Correct. Um, so, you know, kind of what happened after that? I mean, I know that, um, you know, the cancer had returned. So, mm-hmm. you know, were you, was it just through like follow-ups or, um, you know, tell me, tell me how that kind of came about.
1: So, yeah, the, I was NED um, for about a year and a couple of months um, after that and, but i kept feeling in the, in the original site of the tumor i kept feeling a a, a knot if you will mm-hmm. and you know when i would go for follow ups with my all of my doctors you know it's like oh, what is this you know i'm feeling this and it's exciting because it's it feels the same as that tumor and you know my doctors would say it's just scar tissue it, this is just your new normal just you know kind of get used to that you know oh, that gosh. that's just going to be there and, and I was, okay, all right. I hated it though. And so I remember I spent, you know, many months nearly that whole year massaging it and putting essential oils on it and doing all the things. And I thought, you know, trying to break it down, um, this quote unquote scar tissue. And then I went in for, um, a mastect- or uh, mammogram and, uh, you know, that came back clear, you know, got the a clear report on that. And just in talking with my doctor following um, the actual mammogram, I said, Hey, you know what? Can you go back and look closer at this spot? Like I've been massaging this scar tissue. Can you just let me know, like, has it changed at all? Has it shrunk at all? If it's not doing anything, then I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm going to skip doing this because it's not really pleasant and it makes me, yeah, it's just like kind of triggering. And, so my doctor went back and looked closer and I remember she came back in the room and just this look on her face and she oh said, wow, yeah, <laughs> you know what? It has changed a bit, but not quite in the way we want it to. Um, she was like, if you're cool with it, I'd say let's biopsy, um, you know, just to see It's it, it, It's probably fat necrosis, but she's like, I'm going to be honest with you, Rach, it, it could be a recurrence. Um, you know, so they sent it out, and lo and behold, it was recurrence.
0: I mean, first of all, yeah, <laughs> nobody's cool with a biopsy, <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, So hey, doc. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean, I'm just like, I'm I'm sitting here, first of all, and I'm thinking like, there was something in your gut that yeah. just kept telling you something wasn't right, like right. you for that period of time you know and and one of the things that i i i mean there are a lot of things that i struggle with um and i try really hard not to project my mm-hmm. things on other people but i do remember somebody else like my my medical onco- my initial medical oncologist cuz i did change um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had said to me like you can't think that every single ache and pain is is cancer mm-hmm. returning you know and i think those are bad things to be telling people that yeah. have been diagnosed with cancer because there is that chance, right? There is always (laughs) that chance, you know, it could be a, it could be a stage zero. And then all of a sudden, you know, something shifts, something triggers in that person's body. And now it's a stage three, now it's a stage four, you know, and yet maybe they have kind of ignored or, you know, really, really bought into like, okay, this is just normal. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, I mean, it could be a headache, it could be bone pain, it could be any of those things. Um, So, you know, I'm, so grateful, first of all, that you just kind of had something in you that was telling you to say like, check that. Yeah. Check that because it's not, it's not sitting well with me. Um, and I think that more and more we need to really be listening to ourselves um, mm-hmm. and kind of pushing. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And the thing is, you know, I don't, uh, my my doctor even after that, the, um, I remember she came back in uh, or, you know, an appointment, and I remember she looked me right in the eye, and she said, listen, Rach, if you want to change doctors, I completely understand and support that. And, she, you know, and she said, you need to feel the utmost confidence. You know, you need to feel comfortable, you, you know, and not be worried. And she said, I remember she, um, she said, we, your doctors work for you. It's not the other way around. Right. Um, you know, she said, you know, don't worry about my feelings, uh, you know, that, her feelings. Um, but I, I don't blame her, you know, or any of my doctors for missing it. I mean, the as it turns out, the type of cancer that it was is just sort of this like very sneaky, you know, cancer type, and it did it. It didn't show up on the mammogram,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, overtly. So, but but like you said, yes, I did have this sort of just. I don't know, this, um, this sense that there was something weird, um, you know, so I am glad that I spoke up and pushed for a
0: closer look. Absolutely. Well, I think it's, um, you know, and I, I don't necessarily say that to say that, like, you know, doctors are not looking out yeah. for our best interest or, yeah. you know, whatever. I, I think it's just one of those things where there has to be a little bit more caution with it. Sure. Versus like, well, this is just the new normal. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, uh, I just, I mean, I, I had a friend on um, the podcast who, she really had no idea that an early stage diagnosis could become stage four. And so yeah. she stopped going to her scans, she stopped getting mm-hmm. her updates. And then the only reason she found out was because her spine collapsed. Mm. Um but she didn't know. Right. So yeah. th- those are the kind of things where I feel like the education just has to be a little bit better. Um, yeah. and my hope is that, you know, as we're continuing through this and the voices of, um, those who are diagnosed with cancer are becoming louder <laughs> yes. that the medical, you know, the medical, um, field is listening at least. Um, yeah. so let's talk a little bit about that that recurrence because you know, what you had shared with me before we started recording was that it was something called metaplastic and I had not heard that before. So I definitely want to make sure that we talk about that and share that with our listeners.
1: Sure. So, um, most, and again, I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Um, so I'm just going to speak, you know, from my understanding of it, my impression of it, though I may be speaking out of turn, um, but so with metaplast or with invas- invasive ductal carcinoma, which is what the majority of breast cancers are, um, that's, those tumor cells are made up of epithelial cells. So that's kind of what makes up your, your skin and your muscle. Um, and with metaplastic, it's uh, basically those cells that make up the tumor have morphed into a different cell type. So, if you recall from science class um, in high school, you might have heard about like squamous cells uh, or the epithelial cells. Like I said, Um, my particular uh, metaplastic cells converted to chondroid cells. So, essentially, um, the cell structure that make up your bone and cartilage. So, with that biopsy, it came back as the same. Um, invasive ductal carcinoma, triple negative. But then after I had the mastectomy uh, done, the pathology came back and it kind of showed both, so the metaplastic and the invasive ductal carcinoma that was like bundled up together. Um, and with the metaplastic, it is a pretty rare cancer type, um, so it's not well researched. You know, it's not well understood. The one thing that they they do know about it is that it tends to be chemo resistant. So after I'd had the, um, the second diagnosis, I went back into chemo and there was no change. I did two rounds of, um, and cytoxin and we did imaging after that and there was no change whatsoever. So then I went back and did two rounds of carboplatin and six weekly rounds of taxol and there was still no change. Um, which, you know, again, have that was before the mastectomy. So that was like, wait, this is kind of weird. Um, and I remember at that point in time, the plan was to do chemo and then a mastectomy and then to do more chemo to kind of, you know, capture anything that might have gotten missed or stirred up. And I remember pushing at that point in time, like, well, let's keep trying different chemos because once this tumor's gone, we have no way to measure if, you know, a different type of chemo is going to be effective. Right. And my daughter's like, no, we have to, no, we got to get it out. Um, and so, you know, which is good because then, you know, got it out. And then that's when the, the pathology showed that, oh, wait, it's That's So it's chemo-resistant, it's probably not going
0: right. to be impacted by chemo at all. So did you end up not doing chemo? I mean, I know you said you did the two rounds, but did you mm-hmm. do any more than that? No. So after
1: okay. after that information came back, um, there there was talk about doing Zalota, like the oral, mm-hmm. you know. And <clears throat> excuse me again, my just my my brain and my gut were saying like this doesn't make sense. Uh, if all we know about this is that it's chemo resistant why am I going to do chemo? Yeah. <laughs> um, Fair question. You know, all that we're really guaranteeing is that I'm going to probably feel like crap, you know, for six months and be putting more chemicals into my body and what have you. And I actually even went up to Sloan Kettering Memorial for a second opinion because um, they have more experience mm-hmm. with metaplastic. And, you know, what that oncologist said, yeah, I'd probably have you do this Loda as well. And I just, I don't know, hmm. I, I, I did so much research. I talked to so many doctors. Um, and I, and I just did a, a lot of soul searching and I felt, I don't want to do it. I, and so instead what I kind of opted for was to quote unquote treat myself, um, you know, as far as like, uh, healing plan, um, with just spending more time with my friends and family and building my community and, um, you kind of embarked on a little project to, to deepen those connections.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a fair point. Like what I, I always believe, um, that we have to take into consideration the quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: And that's not, you know, I'm by no means saying, Oh no. Like, don't do it. Like Don't do, you know, muscular medicine's bad or like don't do, you know, chemo or anything like that. I just think that, yeah, each individual person needs to look at their own, you know, their situation
0: and, and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of did the same thing. I looked at what the quality of my life was Mm -hmm. at the point in time where (laughs) I was taking the medication and I just said to my doctor, like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm miserable. And to me it's not worth it. Um mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, they gave they gave me a script. I still have the script. It was <laughs> written out almost six years ago now. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm just like, I I'm not doing that because I didn't feel good. Um yeah. so yeah, so so at that point in time, um, was that considered stage four or was it considered a recurrence? Or was no, it both? At that point it was-
1: it was, um, a recurrent, well, so there was a yeah, there was a lot of confusion. Like, is this a new primary yeah. because it's technically new? Is this a recurrence? There's, I think still a lot of ambiguity there. Um, but it was determined that's recurrence. Okay. That's, you know, kind of like what we put it down on paper as, and, you know, move forward with
0: that. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I I've had a lot of people too where, you know, they they're diagnosed with one cancer and it's triple negative, mm-hmm. and then they come back and it's you know HER2 positive, and then that's mm-hmm. you know the next they get another diagnosis as, and it's you know ERPR positive, and I'm like, what on earth? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's always it's very interesting. I mean, cancer is just a sneaky little shit, if I can say that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So what did, so you just kind of went without, um, like again, no medication, there's not anything that they can do cause it was still triple right. um, negative. Um, so then what was the, you know, what did you do after that? Um, did you just, did you do follow up like yearly mm-hmm. six months? Like what was the plan?
1: I think I was initially, uh, three month and then, you know, after that first three months, then it moved to six months. Um, and then annually, and so, you know, just the course of the regular scans, um, in the spring of that following year, I had the, a nodule that appeared on my lung, and it was very small, and, you know, the doctor said, like, well, nodules are really common, most people have them, they just don't realize it, and it could be, um, you know, scar tissue from radiation, it could be, you know, you have a lung infection, and there's scar tissue from that, like, it's, it could be nothing, or <laughs> it could be cancer. So... You know, there was again this this like, well, we could watch it and see, um, we could biopsy it, or we can just go ahead and have it and remove it. And because of where it was located, um, they said like, well, it can be pretty easy to get to it. We can just do a quick, quick little uh, wedge resection, and then see what we're looking at. So that's what that's what we did. <clears throat> and then, and then it was, you know, like while we're in there, if if it does appear to be um, malignant, then if it's a new primary, so if it's lung cancer, then well, they were, the plan was to take more of the lung out just to kind of get like, you know, just to clear more. Um, but if it was a metastasis of the breast cancer, then, you know, they would just kind of leave it at that. And that's what it wound up being
0: was metastasis. Okay. So then <laughs> was there any course of treatment after that?
1: Nope. So after that, it was, considered NED um you know because I hadn't had you know success really with the chemotherapy prior mm-hmm. um and again there was nothing really to, to to watch at that point as um or to monitor as far as efficacy of the chemo um it's like well that we're not going to do that there was discussion about doing immunotherapy um but again I weighed my options and did a ton of research and talked to a lot of different, you know, people who are much smarter than I am. Um, (laughs) and I decided again to just wait, uh, you know, I felt like I'm NED. Um, you know, I'd rather enjoy that time as long as possible. Yeah. And then, you know, should things come back or should things change, then I at least still have the immunotherapy in my arsenal of tools, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I always, um, I've always kind of thought about that too. Like, I just want something in my back pocket.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, just, you know, just even if it's just to make myself feel better about it, I don't know. Sure. Um, but I always want to yeah. have something in my back pocket so that I could be like, okay, yeah, let's, let's consider this at this point. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like, you know, immunotherapy was
1: still a fairly, or is still, um, you know, a fairly new mm-hmm. technology. Um, And I thought, you know, I'd rather, if I have the opportunity to wait, I'd rather kind of sit back until they improve things and, you know, learn more about it and, you know, just kind of understand the protocol a little bit better.
0: Right. So is the, so has there been any other activity on the lung? Are they monitoring you every three months? Like how, what is kind of that, that level of monitoring?
1: Yeah. So quarterly
0: um, and, and
1: not on wood. You know, everything looks clear still at this point.
0: Okay. Good. Good. Well, I'm, you know, obviously glad to hear that. Um, you know, I, I, um, I think about, you know, just just going from, um, you know, something something that, and I'm not I'm not quite sure where I'm going to go with this, um, or even how I. <laughs> how I want to ask this question, but I mean, I, I keep going back to, you know, you really kind of thought that this was a cyst and, you know, this started, I mean, this really wasn't that long ago that it started for you. It was 2016. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's really just been four and a half years. Um, well, coming up on five, who knows what, Mm -hmm. who knows what day it is. (laughs) 2020, I don't know what day it is, um, or month or anything. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I think it's, um, you know, I'm just kind of curious in terms of like your perspective, how you kind of dealt with um, like the kind of wrapping your mind around um, the ultimate diagnosis of of it being, you know, metastatic, um, you know, because I know that there are a lot of people out there that, you know, they do struggle with it. So I'm just kind of mm-hmm. curious from your perspective, you know, was there anything that you did specifically Um you know, I know you talked about your therapist, but I'm just kind of curious if there's anything that you could offer, you know, just to our listeners in terms of, you know, if, if that's the reality for them now or if it, you know, is something that happens later. You know, what, what, how did you process that information? Um, any, any advice, any tips?
1: Yeah. So, hmm, okay. Oh, there's a couple of things I'll say to that. Um, one, I, I, I one denial, I mean, denial has like, (laughs) carried me through much of this. Uh, And I think that it's, and that's not, I I don't say that it's like, that's the healthy approach. Or that's what I recommend. It's Um, a coping mechanism. Yeah, that's just kind of how I've, I don't know, it's just propelled me through through much of this. And it's crazy, though, because there will be those days where, you know, will catch up to me. And it's just like, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute, like that all this is this actually happened <laughs> like this is actually happening to me not to someone else not you know it's like this is my you new know, life um and so you know of course those are really difficult days um I'll say for me also that I I don't so yes I'm technically you know stage four metastatic but I'm also any D Mm -hmm. so I I don't know like I I don't I don't I'm really big on not comparing pain right like pain is not a contest suffering's not a contest one person's experience like you know like people say that to me all the time like well what I'm dealing with is nothing what you felt. it's like no you're entitled to yes you know have pain and fear and everything like it's not a contest however that being said I don't really feel like I have a seat at the metastatic table if that makes sense okay. um you know because i'm not i don't have active disease and you know i'm kind of in this like just strange like one foot in one foot out place. okay yeah. um yeah so, so i mean I that makes sense yeah so i'm still kind of um trying to live in that ned space as, as much as possible but I, I think, you know, this past year, especially, like, I, uh, it's, it's, I, I, the, the statistics um, for my, for triple negative, you know, are really bad. The statistics for metaplastic disease are that much worse, mm-hmm. um, as far as long, you know, long term survival or whatever. So, I, you know, for a long time, I was like really hung up on that. And, and I've been all along since, literally since day one, I've been very, um, open and, uh, communicative about everything that I've gone through. So I've shared on, you know, so on my Facebook and Instagram, like everything, um, you know, and it's, I think both like therapeutic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've kind of taken the approach of, you know, if it's helpful to educate people, because sadly, you know, most of the, most everyone's going to either go through cancer themselves or be impacted by a lovely, a close loved one. So my approach has been like, well, is if I can educate and help, uh, you know, through my experience, then, then that's great. So that's, um, for me has been, you know, the approach that's felt right. Um, so, that being said, I, there were a lot of posts like over the past year, especially that were just like, well, I'm probably not going to be here after this point in time. And, you know, it's going to come back and, um, you know, these are the statistics and it's grim and, you know, whatever. And yes, it's, you know, facts are facts, statistics are statistics, but, um, I will say this past summer, I, I you know, was dating this guy and I, you know that's always a difficult thing, right? Like, how yes. do you bring it up, and how much <laughs> do you share, and whatever. Yes. And, and the timing of it was especially bad because I was like, when we met, I was like just about to have my like a scan, my quarterly scan. So you know, sick and scans, anxiety, and yeah. you know, it's just like talking about death and dying, and just like really hyper focused on it. And this guy was really lovely, and he, you know, he. Was open to it, and we would talk about it, and we have we would have these like beautiful, intimate conversations, and um, you know, and and I, I remember I asked him like, "Are you okay with this?" Because both of his parents had passed from cancer, sadly, oh. um, you know, and I was just like, "Are you are you sure you want to get into this?" Like, yeah, um, you know, and he said a couple of things at that at the time. He said, "Well, you know what, um." You know, because also rewind here a minute. So, I feel like I've been on this lifelong quest to find love, but since all you know, having gone through all this, um, you know, I'm still searching, and I'm you know on Tinder and doing all the things. But I think, really subconsciously, I've been holding any person like at arm's length a bit, Because yeah. I have, I created this story in my head of, um, you know, like what's the great tragedy you hear about so this person they have all these uh you know all these terrible things happen to them one thing after another and it's just they're you know they're done on their look and everything's bad and then oh finally they fall in love and everything's falling into place and then boom tragedy strikes they die whatever so I have this like ho- you know whatever like Hollywood movie storyline that I've crafted in my head and so I'm like well How do I prevent dying? Well, if I just don't fall in love, then that tragedy—you know, like the end of the story—just doesn't come. Yeah. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I think, like, even though I'm going through the motions and I'm like looking for love and whatever, I think really subconsciously I've been pushing love away. So, anyway, with this guy, I was like, you know, are you sure you're you're okay with this? And. I was softening to that idea of like, well, maybe, maybe this could be real. And maybe it would be okay. And I remember him saying, um, like, you know, I have, he had been married before. He'd been engaged before. And he was like, I've been in relationships that I thought were going to last my entire life. And they ended. And I was devastated. And I thought at that time, like, I'll never love again. I'll never, you know, how can I, I can't go on. Like I'll never find happiness again, etc., etc. And he was like, and I did go on and I found happiness again and I fell in love again. And he said, so I kind of, he said, you know, if you and I get into this and then something happens to you, he said, of course I'd be devastated, but I also know that like, I'll be okay. So that's not going to prevent me from giving this a try. And I, it was such a revelation to me because yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> it's not my responsibility. Like, I don't have to protect you. Exactly. You know, like, like what? <laughs> and so I was like, holy crap. Like, so that was huge for me. And then, you know, he, of course, then he did the like stock standard. Well, and I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. And
0: right. like, no one knows <laughs> what can
1: happen. like, yeah, yeah, okay. I can be walking uh, across
0: the street and get hit by a bus. It's yeah. always my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just him
1: saying that was just like wow. So fast forward, then like three or four days, and he was like, you
0: know what I said the other day.
1: Um, I actually can't handle this. So. Oh gosh. Yeah. So that was pretty traumatizing. Yeah, you're like, well, that
0: <laughs> sounded great from the manual that you apparently yeah. had, but uh, reality check. Yeah, like, that's um, so, that's hard. Wow. Yeah. So he so he broke
1: it off, and then I had sat with it for a few days and you know he's not the first guy that broke things off because of their fear around mm-hmm. cancer and whatever um but you know certainly the first one that I had really let my guard down for and had hopes around and so um you know he I remember just feeling so angry of course just like like this is just so unfair you know and so I remember I I, I'm a writer and so I wrote up this big long thing and I sent it to him and in the process of that I was almost like defending um like I wasn't begging him to change his mind um but it was just kind of like this is not fair Like, cancer has already taken so much from both of us, and now it's taking this hope away. And yes, I've had cancer three times, but I and like, you know, it could come back, but it could also not come back. It could also be fine. And it was one of those, like, things where after I I wrote all that out, and I, you know, had put all those thoughts together, he still was like, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry this is painful, but, like, I can't do it. But that whole process and That whole exercise mm-hmm. was just like, oh, I didn't convince you, but I convinced myself.
0: Yes. So and that's like, what that's what yeah. matters the most.
1: Yeah. So you know, did it suck? Was it like hugely painful? Yes, absolutely. But in the end, was it like it was like okay, cool? Like, um, yeah. I you know, I'm I'm just not so I'm not right now in that place still of like whoa. <laughs> Chances are, you know, whatever. It's just kind of like, well, I'm here now and I feel great and I'm taking care of myself the best I can. Um, And
0: I um, think that's the best you can do.
1: I mean, realistically.
0: And I I lived in that space too for a long time of the statistics, but eventually I had to move forward from that because if I focused too much on that, that became too much doom and gloom for me. Um, So I get it. I mean, I, I totally get it. And I, you know, I don't. I don't know you personally, um, but the one thing that I have taken away from this that I'm sure that my listeners will take away from this is that you really have not seemed to allow this to define you or define how you're going to live your life. Um, You know, the the situation with having a diagnosis Three times over sucks. I mean, there's nothing. Yep. There's no easier way to say that, um, and there's no reason to sugarcoat that, right? Like it genuinely right. does suck. But the sense that I have gotten from you is that there is still life to be lived, mm-hmm. and you're going to do it, you're yep. going to take every single opportunity. So I think that's, you know, all of that stuff. And if there is one piece of advice that I can give to you, I mean, I was I was in that space. The very first thing that I asked myself, well not even myself but the very first thing i said when i was diagnosed was not oh my god i'm going to die the very mm-hmm. first thing i said to myself was who's going to love me now and yeah you yeah. know i went through a lot of the same things that you talked about and um and i get it i mean i i know i've been there but when i was not looking was the time when my husband showed up mm-hmm. and he really taught me what it was like to not be somebody who was going through cancer. Like, he never looked at me as somebody that was going through cancer or has had cancer or anything like that. I was always just Melissa. Yeah. So I wholeheartedly believe that you're going to find that person um, when it's least expected. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, like, I've kind of gotten to a point where if I don't, that's okay too, right? Like, Well, that's it. I mean, I I don't – I don't get the sense that you're going to be like, Oh, I'm not going to live my life because of that. Um, (laughs) I wholeheartedly believe that you're going to keep living and you're going to do great. And, um, you know, you're going to enjoy the adventure that you're on. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just want to say, thank you so much for spending your time with me, for sharing your story with my listeners. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there are so many great parts of, um, your story that, that they're going to walk away with. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I'm super grateful for you to be with us.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com.
1: Thinking about advertising on this podcast, our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.